Anchored in Reaching is for curious people who want to explore the story that God is writing in history and who are looking for their own place in that story to find meaning and vibrancy in their life and vocation. I'm Kevin Manoya. Join me each week as we probe the edges of faith and living, always in relation to God who knows you best. For some, it'll be an opportunity to anchor yourself more securely in your faith. For others, it'll be motivation to reach out to engage more broadly. In either case, these conversations should encourage, enlighten, and challenge you. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining me again for a new, a brand new series of Anchored and Reaching. Uh, we're starting this series that I am pretty excited about, frankly, because the title of this series is The Diversity of Unity. And uh, I'm, I'm particularly excited about this because there are so many walls that exist among us. There's so much division that exists in the life of the world, in the nations, and in the life of the church. And we use the strangest things to divide us. And I'd like to kind of debunk that a little bit. And I'd like to kind of challenge some of our, our preconceived ideas that create div divisiveness and division and walls that demarcate and compartmentalize us. I'd like to try to bring those block walls down and replace them with some picket fences. You know, when you build a block wall around your backyard, uh, yeah, it keeps the other person, your neighbor... Uh, it keeps the weeds from that other person's backyard from growing in yours, but it also keeps the flowers of your neighbor from coming in and gracing your backyard with beauty. And so I'm hopeful that we can begin to think differently about the life of the church, that the diversity in the church is not a sign of division, and when people say, why are there so many denominations and why are there so many traditions? It's just a sign that Christians can't get along and therefore it's not, it's not really an, an effective impact or an, an effective reflection of the kingdom. No, I'd like to reverse that and say that the diversity that we see in the life of the church worldwide, whether it's theological or cultural, it's not a sign of, div of division that we can't get along. It's a sign of the amazing unity that can come from that diversity when we are truly seeking the kingdom principles. And so it's really incumbent upon us to move beyond the idea of diversity as a sign of divisiveness and recognize that you cannot have unity unless there is first diversity. Think about the word unity. Well, unity means that Things that are different are coming together in unity. Well, you can't have unity if there's not first diversity. So that's why we titled this series, The Diversity of Unity. And in this particular episode, this is the introductory episode one. Glad you joined. Hope you stick with us. This will probably be a series of eight or nine, maybe even 10. We'll see how it goes. And I hope you hang with us because we're going to be exploring a lot of the different streams, a lot of different thinking. And I have a hunch that some of your thinking is going to be challenged at some point in this in this series. Please don't get mad. Uh, we are we are committed to understanding the nature of the kingdom. Even when I use these words together, 
the diversity of unity, or I use the word unity and diversity. It sounds like there's an oxymoron going on to say that there's the diversity of unity. After all, isn't unity one? And then yet I'm using the word diversity in it. Well, that's very clearly intentional. That's what we're talking about here, that in the kingdom, there is a vast degree of diversity. Hermeneutical diversity, that is the lenses we wear when we even read the Bible, we all, we all tend to read it differently. Or even the Bible that we read, we treated that in one of our previous series. Which Bible are we reading? Or we think of the conclusions, or we think of the principles coming out of Scripture differently. There's huge diversity among the people that are called by the name of Jesus Christ Christians. And yet, John 17, Jesus prayed for the unity among us that we may be one. Well, how in the world could he pray for unity among people that are so diverse in how we interpret Scripture, how we live our Christian lives, how we do church, the nature of the church, the nature, nature of the mission of God in the world, understanding who God is, understanding what is important, understanding the mission of Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ accomplishes that mission. There's such diversity theologically and, and practically that one would think that it would be virtually impossible to achieve unity among that kind of diversity. And yet, Jesus prayed that we be one. He prayed for the unity of the people who are called by his name. So I think it's possible. I think it's a, an amazing journey, and I want to invite you to join me in this journey. The pursuit of unity is like an e-ticket ride. Now, I guess I shouldn't use that phrase because that dates me, right? Some of you are too young to know what an e-ticket ride. At Disneyland, they used to have different letters assigned to, assigned to uh, the rides, and the wildest rides were the ones that you had to buy an e-ticket for. That meant you were going to go on a wild ride. Well, this series, The Diversity of Unity, is likely going to be an e-ticket ride, and we're going to go on a wonderful journey of discovery. It's a journey that I have been walking for a lot of years in my life, and I've learned so much from people from very different Christian backgrounds than myself. It's a joy, it's a privilege that we get to submit to one another, Ephesians, to submit to one another as unto the Lord and to understand the nature of God's kingdom in fresh new ways when we're willing to put on the lenses of another sister or brother in the kingdom to learn and to see through their eyes, or in some cases you might say walk in their shoes. So I'm doing this first episode solo, and then in the subsequent episodes, uh, I'm going to be inviting different people to join me, and we're going to talk about different dimensions. And I think you're going to really like this. We're going to be talking to a vascular surgeon. We're going to be talking to people from a variety of different traditions, um, whether it's Catholic or mainline Protestant or Anabaptist, we're going to talk about the holiness, the Pentecostal, the Black Church. We're going to we're going to talk about uh, with people from the SDA, the Seventh Day Adventist. We're going to talk about a lot of different diversity in the the kingdom of heaven on earth, all with the goal of understanding 
what the kingdom is about, the unity of the kingdom, the unity of the church in Jesus Christ. And I'm really glad that you're with me, and I look forward to to walking with you through this. Now, that's a long introduction. I want to remind you that you can check the show notes for outlines. You can check the show notes for any resources. And of course, you can submit a, a question or a comment if you want to. So let me, with all of that introductory remarks, I think you get the idea of where I'm coming from on this, that I love the idea of unity. To help us understand the the profundity of unity, though, let me use a couple of words and define them for you so that we understand what what unity really is and what it's not. So we often confuse three different words and we conflate the meaning of those words. That simply means that we combine the meanings and sometimes we use any one of these three words interchangeably when in reality they're very different. So sometimes we may, when we think about the idea of unity, we may use the word uh, uniformity. Well, uniformity is different than unity. Uniformity is when we wear the same clothes, we act the same way, we have the same schedule, we eat the same food, we talk the same language, we have the same mental constructs, and we approach things, especially our Christian faith and even scripture, we approach things with the same mindset, the same set of lenses. Uniformity is sameness, and and there's a place for uniformity. It's important to recognize uniformity. When when your kids wear a uniform when they go to school, that uniform is intended to do something. It's intended to signal that, that we are one group together. We go to the same school, and we're learning from the same teachers. When, for example, uh, a real obvious one, when the Salvation Army officers and, and cadets and, and, off, and, and leaders wear uniforms, they're sending a signal. We are in common pursuit of Jesus Christ bringing salvation and, and release to the captives in the, in the places where they are enslaved, whether it's feeding the poor, whether it's clothing the naked, whether it's whatever it's doing, there's uniformity in the effort in that kind of... And uniformity is really important. You probably experience uniformity perhaps even in your own church. Uh, You all use code words, you use language, you use phrases. Uh, You may hear something and you all interpret it the same way. Well, uniformity has its place, but it's different than unity. Another word we often confuse or conflate with the idea of unity is the word unanimity. Unanimity is not the same as unity either. Unanimity, while it may not have to do with appearance or performance or language, it has to do with concepts and ideas that we all hold in common. And so there is unanimity among people who dress differently. There is unanimity among people who eat differently or who even think differently. But they can still have unanimity around a concept or an idea. Maybe it's a political initiative or a social engagement or a community project. There's unanimity. And while there might be people who act differently among the group and who may even be somewhat dissenting of the idea, Nevertheless, there's a commitment to be together 
in fulfilling the idea, the concept, the project, the, the, the thought, or the initiative. There's unanimity among us that we are going to renew the park in the center of our community. There's unanimity among us that we are going to place as our first priority uh, raising funds for a new missionary project in another part of the world. There's unanimity among us in fulfilling this idea or concept. But even that falls short of the unity for which Jesus prayed. So there's uniformity, there's unanimity, but then there's unity. Unity is what Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17. Unity is what we see laced throughout Scripture. And the kind of unity that Jesus prayed for is not that we all look alike or talk alike or think alike. It's not that we all come together and agree on the same projects. Unity allows for great diversity in look, in ideas and concepts, But within that diversity, there is an essential oneness that binds us together at the core identity level. Unity deals with the essence of oneness among us. And so while we may not necessarily be uniform in our practices, our dress, our word sets, or even our hermeneutics, our interpretation of spiritual principles or even scripture, While there may not be unanimity, even in the idea of what is the most important priority of the church in the world today, we can still have unity because at the essential level, we find ourselves in relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ, who defines our very core identity as Christ followers. See, that unity is at a very deep, essential, foundational identity level. And that kind of unity is so deep that even when there's not unanimity over the priorities of the church, even when there's not uniformity over the practices within the church, there is still an understanding that we are one as children of God through Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, that kind of unity is is hugely powerful. It's powerful. It's so powerful that Jesus prayed for that kind of oneness, that kind of unity, not so that we could kind of ring our own bells and brag that we have unity, but so that the world that Jesus is God's Son sent into the world. There's a reason why Jesus prayed for unity. And it's a missional reason, you see. It's it's intended not unity for unity's sake, but for mission's sake, so that the world would see the diversity among us and recognize that amidst all of this diversity, of all of this lack of uniformity, this lack of unanimity, that there is an essential oneness that binds us together. And they would conclude only God could do that. And the Jesus that they put at the center of it all must be God's Son to create unity amidst that kind of diversity. 
That's the kind of power. I remember sitting in in uh, ecumenical gatherings of the faith and order movement in on the East Coast, and when I represented evangelicals and and the holiness uh, movement in those circles. Now, please don't be afraid of the word ecumenical. Um, you know that 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 word is a, and we'll explain that someday. That word is a wonderful word. It simply has to do with the house of God. But sitting in those ecumenical gatherings, representing millions upon millions of people, I remember talking about the idea of unity. And within the conversations, often the the conversations would get distracted over the importance of unity for unity's sake. And very often, whether I or another person around the table, we would consistently remind ourselves, and I would always say, look, unity is not the end. It's not the goal in itself. Unity exists for a reason. Unity was prayed for so that there is a witness of Jesus Christ being God's Son sent into the world that goes forth among all the peoples of the world. And they look at us and they say, wow, you guys are really different. You guys do things really differently. You don't even agree on all of what's important politically, spiritually, theologically, practically, culturally. You don't agree on all that. And yet, and yet, there is unity among you around who Jesus is as the Son of God, Savior of the world, and healer of brokenness. See, that's the kind of unity that Jesus prayed for. Now, that kind of unity demands a level of diversity. And I know it sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not really when you understand. You can't have unity without diversity. Let me give you uh, a word picture, if I may. And um, this word picture is described in a book that was published a few years back. Um, I remember sharing this vision with a group of leaders in an organization that I launched about 20-some years ago. And after I shared this vision of of what I call the, the river of God, uh, one of the one of the leaders came up to me and said, Kevin, you need to write that down. I said, no, I think you ought to write that down, and I think you ought to write the book on this. So he edited a volume, and the book is called The Holy River of God. And you can get that on Amazon. You can get it, I think, on, um, you can just order it. And it's an edited volume with a number of different voices writing in to explain the nature of the Holy River of God. It's the best contemporary articulation of this whole idea that I that I could even refer you to. So it's it's been edited by Dr. Barry Callan, a dear friend of mine, and um, it's called The Holy River of God. So check out the, the, the show notes and you can get that book. The idea behind that that gave rise to that, though, is what I call the river system of God. Now, the river system of God is one. There's one river system. And the river of God has one source. And that comes from the mountain of God, the heart of God. Or Ezekiel 47 identifies the source of the river coming from the temple of God. Well, who lives in the temple? It's God. So this river flows from one singular source downhill. And and it comes from the very heart of God, not the bishop's office, not the pastor's office, not the book and theology's office. It doesn't come from the church office. It comes from the heart of God. All of these other things that I just mentioned are efforts to reflect that well, and they do. 
but there's diversity among that reflection. The river system of God has one source, and the river system is one. But within it, within this river system, as any river that I know about, that river has multiple tributaries, or what I call streams. So imagine a river that runs through the desert. Wherever that river goes, it brings life. It changes the desert into green, lush land. When you look at a picture of North Africa from the satellite, you notice that it's kind of a tan color. Well, you know what that is. That's the Sahara Desert. But on the eastern edge, you see this green, snaky-looking thing going from south to north. Well, you know what that is. That's the Nile River. And wherever that river goes, it transforms the dust, the desert, the sand into life-giving soil. And grass grows there, and trees grow there, and fruit trees grow there. And people are attracted to that. And there's life. Wherever the river goes, it brings life. Think about the river of God. Wherever the river of God goes, it brings life. You're a part of that river if you're a Christ follower. Wherever you go, you bring life. It's not just left up to the pastor. It's not just left up to the missionary or the Christian teacher. It's everyone, wherever the river goes, wherever you go, into the executive office, into the manager's office, into driving the truck, into operating the computer, into whatever it is that you do, wherever you go, you bring life because you're part of the river of God if you are walking with Christ, if Christ is central to your life. That river transforms the desert into life-giving soil wherever it goes. And there are various tributaries, various streams, and all of those streams flow from the same source, but they flow down and they all ultimately dump into the one main river. And it and that system becomes one giant flow of water. Water reflect water represents the presence of God throughout scripture. And that presence of God flows through the earth the culture of the world that is often dry and desert and desiccated. And wherever that water of God's presence flows, it transforms that desert into life-giving soil that attracts life. But when you look at all those different tributaries, all those different streams, you notice that every one of them is different. Some of those streams are very, very curvy, and and uh, they they curve and they and they the, the water runs over rocks and it creates white water and it's moving really really fast. Another one meanders slowly through meadows and there's no white water and it just moves very slowly and gently through the meadow. Other streams that in the, are in that system of of the river. They might, be ro- they might be running through um, areas of shade and lots of trees, and others are out in the blazing sun. Every one of those streams is different. Not better, but they're different. And yet they all are part of the river system of God, you see. And they all carry the water of God's presence that comes from the heart of God. And they're all part of this river system. Each stream is different, not better. So let, then we take a walk, and we start at the bottom of the river, and we start walking upstream, and we come to one of those streams. And let's call that stream the Roman Catholic stream. Very ancient, very significant, uh, for a long time represents a lot 
of the theology and lifestyle and thinking that you learn every Sunday when you're in church or when you read devotional books. A lot of the foundations of what you read comes out of the Roman Catholic tradition. Are you a Roman Catholic? Well, maybe, but maybe not. And yet that's a part of the river system of God, you see, historic in its nature, that emphasizes some of the traditions. Did it create problems and, and, and was it always right? No. And yeah, it did create some problems at times. But that stream was part of the rivers, is part of the river system of God. Then we move on upstream and we come to another stream that's different than that one and not better. And, and let's call that one the Eastern stream or the Orthodox stream, right? Some of us uh, in Western culture, we, we drive by Orthodox churches all the time. And a lot of times, uh, particularly evangelicals, they're not sure what, what is an Orthodox church anyway. And if you've ever visited one, you walk in and you see, you don't see statues, you see icons. And you man, that's even stranger than statues. And you, you don't really know what's going on. And sometimes they'll use the censer and, and, and you'll see smoke and you'll see different rituals. And man, that's really strange. And immediately it's easy to dismiss that as not being really Christian. Well, are you part of the orthodox stream of the river system of God? Maybe you are, and you understand what I'm saying. But if you're not, then maybe that feels very strange to you. It's different. Not better, but different. Have there been difficulties in that stream? Of course there have been, just like any other stream. But there's a part that's a part of the river system of God. And it flows into and brings life wherever it goes. And we move on upstream, and we may come to one that, that I'll call the mainline Protestant, or renewal in the mainlines, or whatever you want to call it, the mainline Protestant churches. Let's say the Lutheran church, and the Presbyterian church, and, and, and even the Methodist church, and, and others like it. Some of those historic, old-line Protestant churches that have been around for a few centuries— Right, not as long as the Orthodox Church, and not as long as the Roman Catholic, but they've been around a long time. And 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 we look at those, and and maybe you're identify in your walk with one of those. Are you part of that stream? Maybe you are, but maybe you're not. And and because you're not, maybe you have relegated the mainline Protestant churches to sort of an irrelevancy that are so focused on the past that they don't they don't make a difference today. Well, let's remember that they're part of the river system of God and contributed with historic impact in the cultures of the world and the missionary agencies around the contemporary world in the last few hundred years. Part of the river system of God, different, but not better, you see. Are there parts of those of that main, uh, that mainline Protestant uh, stream that have had difficult? Of course there are. Has it always been correct or right, or has it always been effective? No, not always, but it's part of the river system of God. Then we come up to another one, and we find another stream in this river system, and, and, and I'll call it the New Reformation Movement, or uh, Alliance for Confessing Evangelicals, and the, good, and, the, uh, and the Gospel Coalition, and things like that, or others that are in a more Reformed approach. And, and I, I realize, please forgive me, because... I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of treating these streams with broad strokes and forgive me I I realize I'm not 
representing each one of these in detail well. But my point is to demonstrate the diversity of these streams. And the Reformation movement is a very powerful part of the river system of God. And that stream is different. Not better, but different. Are you part of that stream? Well, maybe you are, but maybe you're not. And we recognize that here is another stream in the river system of God. Maybe I don't live in that stream, but, but that's part of God's work in the world, bringing life wherever it goes and transforming desert into lush green land. And then we move on up this river system and we come to another one. And that stream we might call the Wesleyan Holiness Stream. And that's characterized by, by groups like, um, you know, the Nazarene Church and the Free Methodist Church and, and the Wesleyan Salvation Army and, and the Foursquare Church and the Assemblies of God and the Church of God in Christ in, a, in a, a historic Wesleyan theological framework with a holiness spiritual heritage. And, and that has uniquenesses about it. Are you in that stream? Maybe you are. But maybe you're not. You see, it's different, not better. So the point here is that each of these streams has a unique place in this river system of God. Each is different. There's a different, there's a different uh, history. There's a different story. And then I would say that within each of these streams, there are what I might call currents. And as I said before, I'm treating these with broad generalities and gross um, generalities. So forgive me for not being precise and accurate in definition of all of it, but within each of them, there are currents. In the Roman Catholic Church, there are currents. There are different orders and 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 sects within uh, the Roman Catholic Church. Within the within the, the 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 Reformation movement, there are a lot of different denominations that fit that. The mainline Protestants I've mentioned, the Wesleyan Holiness I've mentioned. Those are different currents. They have different family stories within that stream. So. So even within each stream, there's diversity, and yet there's unity in the same stream. Likewise, in the river system, there's this huge diversity, and, that there, and yet there's the unity that we are all carrying the water of God's grace and presence through the desert land of the world, bringing life wherever we go. Can you see that picture? Can you see that image of a river system, maybe zoomed way out, and you see the diversity of it? And yet the thing that holds it all together is the freshness of the water of life, of grace, of presence that God brings when God flows through the diversity of the river system of God's own church in the world. And it transforms desert worlds, desert cultures, desert thinking into lush, life-giving, flourishing, whole, and vibrant living. You see, that is the picture of the diversity of unity. There is unity in the kingdom of God on earth. There is unity that Jesus prayed for. There is unity that we seek all submitting to God through Jesus Christ. With all of our differences, with all of the diversity that we represent, there's an essential unity that Jesus prayed for. And we get to be part of this. You and I get to be part of this. And I don't know what stream you live in. I don't know what stream informs your thinking or your lifestyle or your practice or your church attendance, any of that. I just know that I can trust 
that God is present in many of these streams. Now, you say, yeah, but but there are an awful lot of people who are not really uh, serious Christ followers in this or that particular stream. You're absolutely right. And you can point to any one of the streams that I've mentioned and the many, many more streams that I have not mentioned that should be on that, that river system. And you can identify people who practice or are participating in the activities of those streams, but whose hearts are as cold as ice, as hard as rock. And yet, those movements represent in their, in their birth, in the formation, there are an awful lot of people who are in those streams who are passionately in love with God through Jesus Christ, who are committed at the deepest levels to bring Christ to all peoples, who are answering the call of God to bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Through all the different historic traditions and patterns and thinking that may be represented across the landscape of the church, in all of the diversity that that river system represents, there is an essential unity for which Jesus prayed. And it might be that one of the most difficult things you have to do is actually to get beyond thinking that one of those other streams is your enemy that you somehow define your identity based upon who you're not. Well, let me invite you to a whole new day of your Christian living, because let me tell you that Christian faith is not defined by who we are not. It is not identified by the difference that we have with another stream of the river system of God. It is defined by the one who holds us together in unity, the one that we worship, the one that we lean on, the one that we are attracted to at the center of all that we do, and that informs everything that we do, even though the patterns, the lenses, the way of thinking may be diverse. There is an essential unity that is found in Jesus Christ, God's Son, sent to become the salvation of all people, reconciling all things back to God's own self. So let's take a journey. Let's take a walk through the diversity of this river system. And in the next episode or two, I hope to talk to someone who understands the operation of the human body in a very profound way, a surgeon. And I want you to meet her. I want you to, I want you to have an opportunity to listen as she begins to describe how the human body works as a reflection of the body of Christ in the world, operating in unity with vast diversity among us. That is the kingdom of heaven on earth. And that's what I mean when I say we're going to talk about the diversity of unity. I hope you stay with me, and I hope this is a wonderful opportunity of discovery and in deepening your own faith and your own understanding of your own stream so that you become more confident in who you are as a Christ follower. God bless you richly. I look forward to joining you in our next episode. Let me encourage you to keep leaning into the wonderful adventure of becoming all that God has envisioned for you to be. Anchoring yourself in a secure identity, you reach with confidence to engage with people and daily life all around you. Allow your curiosity to explore and find God in the edges. 
Please take time to share this podcast with all your friends and invite them to join me in upcoming weeks as we explore together this exhilarating journey of being anchored and reaching.